Welcome, welcome to the Bianca Bo Show. It is Monday, August 2nd, uh, recording this at around 8.30 at night, and a big thing happened this weekend, which is really the only big thing in the sports world. <laughs> the MLB trade deadline passed, and the Dodgers were very active. Ned Coletti pulled off a good three trades or so, nibbling around the edges. But I have a huge rant on that. So if, Paul, do you have any thoughts on the Giants' uh, trade deadline deals? Before, um, before yeah, I let's, let's, let's ease into your rant. Um, the Giants <laughs> made a couple minor moves, picking up Javier Lopez from the Pirates for Joe Martinez and John Bowker, as well as acquiring Rumbrom Ramirez from the Red Sox in exchange for Danny Tuber, I believe. I think, you know, a lot of Giants fans have been clamoring for a big bat. You know, it's kind of been the theme for the past three or four years. Um, you know, a Corey Hart or a Jose Batista, a lot of fans I think would fit in nicely in the middle. And it's hard to disagree with them. But the Giants do have, you know, the best offense in baseball in July, which, you know, doesn't really mean a lot in a vacuum. But I think they, you know, if it takes moving a Sanchez or a Bumgarner, I'm not sure it was worth it. So, surprisingly, it's a good thing you guys didn't have to give those guys up. Yeah, exactly. It's um, surprising that I'm actually okay with what Sabian did this uh, this deadline. You yeah, know, I, I, mean, I don't. I was I looking he at their stats. You know, the the Giants' offense isn't bad. It's not so long as Huff and Posey can really keep it together in the middle. But there's still some room for growth with uh, with Sanchez and with Sandoval. So. From a pitching standpoint, you know, they really needed a lefty because both Affelt and Runzler, the two lefties, are both in the DL. So picking up Lopez was needed. Giving up Bowker kind of hurts because he's really shown that he can mash with some power in AAA. Whether or not that's translatable to the bigs is another but story. But yeah, Paul, he hasn't shown anything in the big league level, and he's been exactly. given ample chances. So Right, and the Giants don't have... They're not in the situation to give him chances right now. You yeah, know? especially They're, yeah, you, you've got you kind of a logjam. Right. Yeah. I mean, they already have Sheerholtz in front of him in the depth chart too, so they can't afford to give him 150 at bats and the rest of the year, even next year, and assume that they'll get much out of it. So um, it's a fresh start for Bowker, which is good. Lopez, I think, is just really needed, just having a lefty. And I've always been a big Ramon Ramirez fan, um, and they didn't really give up a whole lot to get him. So from that perspective. He's another hard-throwing righty to fit in there with Moda, Casilla, Batista, and you know all those other giant. I mean, the Giants really only have one type of reliever. I don't know if you've noticed, Steve, <laughs> but they all throw 95 plus with like no command, and they're all like really, really erratic, you know. Um, so we picked up. Another so you don't one. really have super faith in any of them. Um. Like not one guy, really. like a Hung Chi Kuo, where, you know, you There's come no, in, you know they're shutting down the door. Not really. I mean, last year, Affelt was that guy, but this year he's been hurt for the left side. And Romo's the top setup guy this year, but, you know, he doesn't inspire a whole lot of faith. Even Wilson. Wilson's like Broxton for you in a lot of ways. Yeah, they're you know, they, pretty they similar. They get the save, but they'll just freaking give you an ulcer on the way there. Yeah, they're they're Wilson and Broxton are are pretty similar pitchers. They've got hundred mile an hour fastball and a pretty good slider. Yep. Except Brian Wilson displays much more personality than Jonathan Broxton, <laughs> which makes me a little jealous. Hey, yeah, Brian Wilson. Like, yeah, Brian Wilson would be a lot more fun to root for. He is a lot of fun to root for. Be wheezy. Yeah, he, uh, he makes it interesting and exciting. See, this is amazing to me because the Giants' offense has been much maligned for many years. You know, it's always been the case that their pitching has been good, 
and they haven't had enough bats. But if you look at their stats this year, you have Andres Torres and Pat Burrell and Buster Posey. All these guys have OPSs at like near 900 or above. And yep. that's plenty to get you to the playoffs in the NL West. Right. You know, it's hard to, with the Dodgers kind of struggling without Manny and, you know, the Padres offense isn't great. The Rockies have been missing Tulowitzki. Helton's fallen off. The Giants offense isn't that, I mean, I'm not going to say it's the best, but it's not that much worse. I mean, the big difference is if you look back, the Giants were counting on guys like Renteria and Rowan and Molina to really make, you know, they were like right. the heart of the You of can't the count on those guys, yeah. Right, and, and now those guys, Molina is not, is not here. Rowan and Renteria don't start all the time. And so, you know, it's a, it's a very different feel to it, which is which is good. Aubrey Huff, we were making fun of them for signing him at the beginning <laughs> of the year. It turns out to be a pretty damn good signing. Great signing. I don't think anyone could have predicted. I, I actually kind of like the signing, but I, there was no way I thought he'd be this good. And Huff's been, he's been like the one legitimate mainstay in the middle because, you know, Rebe has kind of gotten hurt. Buster's been in AAA for a good part of the year. But Huff's, you know, legitimately put together like a top five, top ten MVP season. Yeah, he's, he's hitting... been pretty fine this year. Yeah. So, I mean, the Giants can get any semblance of consistency the last few months from their, from the lineup. And then hopefully if Lincecum can turn it around on the mound, that'd be huge. But Are um, you scared at all by what the Padres have done, adding Ryan Ludwig and Miguel Tejada? I'm not at all worried about Tejada. <laughs> Um, because I think he's completely washed up, and I think playing him at shortstop is really going to hurt them defensively. Ludwig does does intimidate me a little bit because he's a good enough hitter. <laughs> Somehow for San Diego, he's probably like their second best hitter right now. Which he is. is a big he's going to hit cleanup for them, I think. Yeah, which Ryan is pretty. Gonzalez. He's got some Ludwig. pop, but you know that one great year he had in St. Louis was pretty much a mirage. He he's not yeah. that good. He's not that good, exactly. But he's got uh, a little bit of pop. He's got power, and you know that's kind of what San Diego needed. Yeah, all they had was so. He was, but I was I was looking at the only one they had who could hit the. Yeah, ball. I was I was looking at the the Padres bullpen like earlier today. Yeah, and yeah, me too. They're disgusting. It is filthy what they like. So obviously everyone knows about Heath Bell, right? I mean, he's like you know one of the top. Five, ten closers. Uh, yeah, in even the setup guys, Mike Adams, guys. Luke Gregerson, you know, Gregerson, all these guys. Chica, um, Thatcher, like, oh my goodness, they're all like one guy's got like an over twelve strikeouts per nine innings ratio. One guy's got under like one walk per inning, and those are like you know the the middle two guys. Those all aren't of even their like whips. Gregerson. You look at all of their whips; they're all like point seven, point eight. It's yeah. boggling. It's abs- mind boggling. It, it is absurd. I mean, I think Petco helps out, but not that much. Holy cow! Yeah, um, uh, that's you know we were, we've been always wondering how do they win? That's how they win. That's Shutting how they win. Down it's in the late like inning. a six inning game. You have to get ahead of them early because they'll just trot out all those relievers on you, and you're just toast. Yeah, it's. So. I I don't think I've ever seen a relief core this impressive. Yeah, and I mean really, they had. They had good relief cores the last, I mean, maybe not last year, but the few years before with, cause Bell was kind of like in that same role and Hoffman was obviously closing for them. Yeah. But, but this year I think is even beyond that. Yeah. I mean, they've just really shut everyone down. The funny thing is you tell me to, you know, you line them up in front of me and you ask me to name which one is which. Other than yeah. Bell, I wouldn't be able to do it. I have no, no idea no way. what these guys look like. They're all just have faceless no dominating relievers. <laughs> yeah. And they just, all of them are really. I feel like that happens sometimes with some bullpens where, like, 
they just kind of feed off each other and everyone does their job whenever they're needed. But, you know, for a team like the Dodgers or the Giants, I mean, we look jealously, right? I mean, you guys have Broxton and Quo are your two big guys. Ours are, you know, arguably just Wilson. Um, and they Broxton, got like six guys. by the guys. way, has lost big guy status. He, he's lost big guy yeah, status. How about this new guy, uh, Kenley Jansen? Kenley Jansen ha- gives me hope for the future. Maybe he's, next year. He's been have, very good. He's I, only pitched three innings so far, but he has five Ks and he only, he's only given up one hit. He throws 95 plus. He's got pretty good curveball. And so far he's got good command. Yeah. He's only been pitching for a year. Less that's, than a year. Yeah. This time last yeah. year, he was a catcher. Yeah. He had a rocket arm, but he couldn't hit a lick. So they told <laughs> him, you know, kid, if you want to make it to the big leagues, you're probably going to have to make use of that arm. And so they converted him to a pitcher, and here he is, which is pretty amazing because I remember watching him in the World Baseball Classic, and he was the catcher for the Netherlands team. Ah. And, you know, that's the that's the first time I heard of him, and they said, oh, this guy's uh, in the Dodger organization, and I'd never heard of him before. <laughs> but, you know, so it's surprising to see him now up in the big leagues and doing really well. So I, I hope he can be the setup guy of the future, if not the closer of the future. But, yeah, Kenley Jansen, he's he, he's very promising, um, which I can't really say for the Dodgers this year. You You've heard all the moves that they made over the deadline, right, Paul? I have heard, yeah. So let's go, let's go over them. Ned Coletti made three trades, and even before the year started, the Dodgers knew that they only really had four starters. They've always needed a fifth starter, but more than a fifth starter, they've needed an ace, a guy like a Cliff Lee or a Roy Oswalt, to name a few that were available this year. But instead, he goes out and gives up Blake DeWitt and two nameless minor league guys for Ted Lilly and Ryan Terrio. Now, Ryan Terrio is older and worse than Blake DeWitt, who was in his first year of playing second base full-time, and he was still improving. He had about an 850 OPS in the minors, and he in the majors it was about 720-something. And he was getting better. Every, if you look at his splits, like every month in this year, he's been getting progressively better. And to trade him away now when he's one of the only improving guys we have, as opposed to, like, Kemp and these other guys who are actually regressing. You know, it's really disheartening to me. And what did we get back for him? A poor man's version of Blake DeWitt, basically, Ryan Terrio. (laughs) An older poor man's version. Yeah, and we get a two-month rental on Cliff, or not on Cliff Lee. I'm just... (laughs) You wish you got on Cliff Lee. Yeah, that's a Freudian slip. This is what I want. (laughs) We get a two-month rental on Ted Lilly, Who's a middle-of-the-rotation starter. He was going to be gone after this year. He's a free agent because there's no way in hell Frank McCord is ponying up the money to re-sign a guy like that. It's just – it's one of those moves that won't put us over the top, won't even get us there. You know, we're not going to make the playoffs this year. I've pretty much given up on that. And it's just frustrating. You look at the other moves he made, too. He gave up James McDonald and Andrew Lambeau for a 36-year-old Octavio Dotel <laughs> who has a four-point-something ERA this year. And the other move he made, he got Scott Podsednik for Lucas May and some other nameless minor league guys. I, I don't even know. But, you know, it's just frustrating because these seem like such little insignificant moves where you know you would make these moves if the core of your team was in place 
and you just needed a little piece to get you to that championship level. But you don't make these kind of moves if you're not even at playoff level. You know, if you need to get to the playoffs, you have to get a big impact guy like a Cliff Lee or a Roy Oswalt. You can't just, you know, nibble around the edges and hunt for bargain basement guys. Unfortunately, that's what Ned Coletti's good at. He always gets other teams to pay the salary of the guys he's getting. You got the Cubs well, he has to, to give them like three million. He got the Pirates to fork over like two and a half million, so he doesn't have to pay any of these guys' salaries for the rest of the year. And it just makes me hate the McCourts more, and it makes me hate this entire organization, and it makes me feel like I want to boycott them until the McCourts sell the team. Wow, that's a bold statement. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm pretty close. I mean, I've got. On my desk here, I've got three more tickets for the rest of the year, but I don't feel like I even want to go to the ballpark anymore. This team is just so depressing. Well, to interrupt you briefly on the trades, I think that I don't really have a problem with the Pazenic trade. I don't think it's... Yeah, that's the the most acceptable out of them. I mean... It's not really going to... I totally agree in the sense that the Dodgers aren't really in a spot where they can make... Well, particularly out of the, after this last weekend against the Giants, because you know now it's a much more desperate situation. Right. But I'm, the Pacific trade was made before that series started, so you know they were out like four and a half games. Then you know it's possible. Right. I mean, I told you in the last podcast we did that in these seven games with the Padres and Giants, the Dodgers had to go at least five and two, right? Right. To get back into the race. Well, they went one yeah. and five or one and six. <laughs> so yeah, that's, you can pretty that's much not forget about fun. the season. Right, the um, Terrio Lilly trade, you know, is is very much a a win now, short sighted move, which I agree. Given the extent of you know where the Dodgers are, is not necessarily. Um, I think luckily, I don't really think they gave up a whole lot, so you're probably gonna get away with that one. I did one like Blake DeWitt though. I mean, I I, I DeWitt, yeah. I think he's a I, quality player. He's gonna be, have a good long career in the majors. I feel like he'll be a solid utility guy. Yeah, he'll be um, like an. I think he'll have an Adam Kennedy type career. Yes. You know, he'll be That's in the league a- for about a decade. He'll be a quality second baseman. He's not going to blow anybody away, but he's going to be serviceable. And yeah, the Dotel trade was the really bad one because that one yeah, they gave that is completely one of their indefensible. Best prospects and you know McDonald's even had some success in the big league level. At the very least, he has a bullpen arm. Exactly. Um, and. You know, you, the reason why I had to get give away both of those two guys is probably to get Pittsburgh to pay money for Dotel's contract. So that's where you should be pissed off because, you know, to get someone like Otavio Dotel, you probably only really had to give up one of those two, if even. But to get Pittsburgh to pay that extra $3 million or whatever requires that extra prospect. You have to think, why did we get Octavio Dotel? We want a power bullpen arm, right? Mm-hmm. I mean – Dotel has a four point something ERA this year. If you wanted a bullpen arm, you've got James McDonald, who has a career bullpen ERA of two point seven. Yeah, so, we should have just kept McDonald. Yeah, in there. they should have just moved him to the pen instead of forcing him to be a starter where he where he's been nothing but awful his entire career. And I, mean, I know I just I just praised Brian Sabian for getting some bullpen arms, but you never want to pay. Yeah, you never pay for middle relief. They're just not ever. They're you know, they're the ones that are the easily the most easily replaced. I mean, yeah, uh, the Dodgers the last few years they've scrapped guys like Corey Wade and Ramon Troncoso yeah. and Belisario. Uh, they've just found them out of the scrap heap for nothing. And to pay right. up with young prospects for a 36 year old middle reliever, it just boggles my mind how that could be a good move. <laughs> that was a pretty dumb move. <laughs> <sighs> uh, 
Well, luckily, to exacerbate the issue for the Dodgers, the Giants managed to uh, sweep the series. Um, and I think, but this is one of those situations where, you know, a few things happen in different ways, and this series is completely different. And I think this is where you really see baseball, you know, a lot of little things can happen that can easily swing a series. You know, the Giants pulled off a, a close win in the first game without Brian Wilson pulling off a 6-5 win. The next game, they needed a Pat Burrell two-run homer to win 2-1. to one. Off the third of Braxton, game, no less, who's completely lost it. And the third game, Kane finally got his first win ever against the Dodgers. But that just goes to show, I mean, the margin of victory for the entire series was four runs, you know, combined. And yet, you know, three back-breaking games for the Dodgers. Um, yeah, nevertheless, the Dodgers season is virtually over. And knowing what, you know, the, the trade deadline was Saturday night at midnight. Knowing that they had lost, right, up to that point, they had been... One and five against San Diego and San Francisco over their last six. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, you knew going into this, these two series that you had to have a good series. You had to sweep or come close to it to get back into the race. And at that point, I, I just wish Coletti would have been a seller instead of a buyer. You know, maybe float some names out there, try to get some prospects and build for the future because it's obvious that it ain't happening this year. I mean, the White Sox called, and they inquired about Manny Ramirez, Kenny Williams offering to pay the rest of Manny's salary for this year, but not giving up much. But, you know, if, if the, you're the McCourts and you, someone's offering to take $10 million off your hands, you know, don't you think you should entertain that possibility? <laughs> I'm sure uh, they did. <laughs> I mean, I just, Especially when Manny's not even doing anything for yeah, you. Yeah, he's been on the DL for the last, like, month, and I just don't get it. They just don't do anything that makes sense. So where do you see the Dodgers uh, finishing up the rest of the year? I mean, do you think, you know, the fact that they did get Lily and Terrio and Posenic and Dotel, you know, maybe in the long run is a bad move. But for this year, do you think they can make a push at all? Can they finish respectably? Do you think they're going to fade completely? They can make a push for third place, maybe. I don't, I don't think they're going to finish above the Giants or the Padres. I think they'll... I think they still have a run in them. You know, I don't think they're going to have enough to catch anybody, but I think at the very least they'll have the ability to. I think that's just the cautious games. giant fan in you talking, Paul. Probably. <laughs> I'm a little nervous. I'm always, I'm always paranoid about. I got to tell you, you have nothing to be worried about. You have nothing to be nervous <laughs> about. This team has no heart. There was an article in the Times. That I will it, agree they have no heart. I will agree they have no heart. <laughs> Larry Boa in a TJ Simers column today was ripping. Guys on the team, you know, without naming Matt Kemp, he specifically basically called out Matt Kemp for not bringing it 100% of the time. And, you know, also calling out Andre Ethier for not scoring on a fly ball or something the other night. But, you know, most of his criticism was directed towards Matt Kemp, as most of the criticism has been directed all year by multiple sources. Coletti ripped him. Larry Boa ripped him now. I mean, Joe Torre has had to take him into his office and figure out what the hell is going on. Nobody knows why Matt Kemp has regressed this year. And Matt only- Kemp, yeah, he feels like a total head case right now. I don't yeah. know if it was just me, but he just he seems like he's just a complete. He doesn't really care. He doesn't really try. He thinks he's too good for the game. I mean, I don't know. It's my take. He gave a quote uh, not too long ago saying that there are more important things in life than baseball. 
<laughs> and you never want to hear your star center fielder saying that, you know, as a fan. And you know what? He's absolutely right. There are more, there are more important things in life than baseball. But you don't say that to the press when you're not hitting. It's just, you're asking more fuel to be put on the fire in that case. And you're yeah, just I've asking re- people to point out Rihanna and all the parties that you're going to and pointing out every single flaw you do. He's three for three tonight with a double and an RBI. Well, that's fantastic. Good for him. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Larry Boa knocked something into him. I've, uh, been putting off trading for Matt Kemp in my fantasy league. One, because he's a Dodger, but secondly, because I just don't know what I'm going to get out of him, you know? You he should be elite. You're, you're right. And he's yeah. not really playing elite, so I'm not really sure what I can expect to see over the rest of the year. I think the Giants, I'm most worried about the Giants' ability to stay healthy and stay kind of rested through the dog days of August and September because a lot of this team is relatively old. A lot of the younger, a lot of the other guys just haven't been through an entire big league season. Guys like Buster and Andres Torres, and August tends to wear teams down, particularly those without the bullpen depth and without the. The lineup, I think, is going to be okay, but uh, we'll see. I think the the time at first base might have helped Buster too stay fresh. You know, he's the, there was a time where there where he didn't really have to squat too much, which is good. That's true. He's done a good job of handling the stuff so far. I mean, from all accounts, he's acted like a veteran back there, which completely puts to bed all the the rumors that you know he wouldn't be able to handle the staff that Molina was needed. I mean, that's – so, you know, obviously I'm happy with the Giants are right now. But if the Giants do end up coming up short here, this is a prime example of how games at the start of the season or towards the beginning of the season mean just as much as those games toward the end. I mean, if you th- if you think about putting Buster in the lineup earlier in the year, like May, <coughs> or, you know, ditching Molina in June instead of July, you know, if you win a few extra games there, that could be all the difference. So – um, if we get to the playoffs, we'll let it slide. But if we come up a little bit short, that's a prime example of why you're, you know, worried to sit the wrong or sit the guy for too long. Yeah, and that's why Atlanta called up Hayward from the beginning of the years because they knew that they'd be in the race, and having Hayward from the start can make the difference at the end. Well, you guys are looking pretty okay right now, two up in the wild card. So. You know, chances are, I mean, I don't know, they have those, you know how they have those, uh, playoff probability things. Yeah. I haven't seen those yet, but, um, it's looking like I think the, the Giants, Giants are in pretty good shape. I think they're around 60% or so right now, which is solid. It's the most solid it's been in a long time, so. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently it was a great weekend to be in San Francisco. Everyone was really feeling great. Pat Burrell's homers being likened with, uh, the, I guess the most recent Giant like big home run like that was uh, uh there have been some other big ones but the the most recent huge one was the one in 96 for uh Brian Wilson was it 97 he had like a, or Brian Brian Johnson the backup catcher hit a solo Brian home run. Johnson yes yeah, so 6-5 in 12 he he was not a big player at all and he managed to jack one out um, See, uh, I have a very selective memory on this. I only remember the the Dodger great home runs against the Giants, like Steve Finley's <laughs> a, a few years ago that oh, clinched the division. That, I remember that one. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> the ones I do remember, it seemed to be... You remember the happy ones. Yeah, 
Mostly that, and you know, the ones that were hit against the Dodgers that I remember most seemed to be against Chanho Park, mostly because he was <laughs> given up the most. I mean, he, Chanho Park is the guy who gave up two grand slams in the same inning to Fernando Tatis. Oh, yes. I didn't realize that was Park. Wow. Yeah, that was him. He g- also gave up Cal Rifkin's home run in the All-Star game that one year. It was Cal's Twilight All-Star game, I think, where he won the MVP. And you can thank Chen Ho Park for that. Yeah, I also remember that awful one when that Barry Bonds hit in the late 90s where he hit the home run and he did a twirl as he ran to first base, and I wanted to choke him after that. Yes, that was... That was a pretty funny pirouette that he did right after hitting it. It's kind of like, it's one of the highlight Bonds home runs because it came against the Dodgers and it be, and just because it was so egregious and yeah, that was one of the assholiest moments I've ever seen in my life. Very Barry Bonds, and uh, there was a great interview with Sean Dunstan this weekend where they were basically asking Dunstan, you know, about the clubhouse chemistry, and he was saying, oh, you know, these guys all like each other. You know, even though they're of different ethnicities, Brian Wilson says that, you know, he's he's basically Latino or he's basically any race he wants to be. Um, and so the guy was like, oh, well, you know, Dunstan, from your experience, do you think it's better to have a clubhouse where, like, everyone gets along? Or do you think that's, you know, strictly tied to winning? And he responded by saying, well, you know, we had some great teams in 2002 and, you know, we didn't always get along that well. We kind of just let Barry do his thing. But, you know, <laughs> Barry produced and that's all that mattered. We won a lot of ball games. And I was like, well, <laughs> to the source well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone obviously believes that. So I think this Giants team particularly does like each other a great deal. And I think it's because there's a good mix of veterans like Huff and Uribe, especially. And you get those happy-go-lucky youngsters like Lincecum and Sandoval and, you know, your grinders like uh, Torres and the youngin' like Posey. So, I don't know. This is this feels like one of those Giants teams that has a lot of chemistry, and I know the ones with Bonds usually didn't. So, Well, that's good to hear because reports have already surfaced about Scott Pedsednik sequestering himself from the rest of the team and not making any friends, which is, you know, always nice. Why, why would he do that? I don't know. But that's just what I've heard so far. <laughs> it just sucks being a Dodger, man. That's really all. There's yeah, I it. guess so. I mean, <laughs> it's I've I've heard similar reports about Joe, George Cheryl the year before that he did. Well, that's this. because oh oh that's because Cheryl is also terrible. Yeah, I mean, but that was this was last year when he was good when he had an ERA oh, of less than last one. Last year he was last yeah, year he was, he was good. Baltimore. Yeah. Um. Anyway, well, switching gears quickly. Um. There's not a whole lot to talk about this week, but I yeah, I don't want to talk any more about baseball though. Uh, this is so depressing. Okay, well we'll get you off the topics. Thank you, I appreciate it. Uh, but basically, uh, over the weekend, I managed to catch a few episodes of Friday Night Lights season three, and uh, I have to say, uh, you know, I've kind of mentioned to Steve that I really liked it, but I didn't get a chance to elaborate to him, where I was saving for the podcast so he'd have something interesting. To <laughs> I've really liked season three, and so far I've liked it more than one. And uh, there's a few reasons for that. One, I think they've done a tremendous job. I, I just like the storylines a lot. You know, it's great to have a hotshot quarterback come in and kind of like rustle, ruffle things up a little bit. Yeah, with a stage dad. All, yeah, with, with yeah. his dad particularly, because that's something that's really true in a lot of, you know, youth sports. And J.D. McCoy's dad... He, you know, you don't even, he doesn't mean poorly, obviously. But yeah, he's just, a hockey dad. I mean, he's basically a hockey dad whose kid happens to play football. <laughs> and that's, 
and you could tell though that like you know it, it's tough it's tough to like JD because of his dad, but then you realize JD is you know just a kid. Yeah, and you can't hate him because of his dad. Um, In season three, so that's, JD that's McCoy. Really is kind of a, like a sweet, innocent, naive, you know, he's completely talented, but he's also completely unaware of everything yes. that's going on around. Very nice. Yeah. Um, season oh. four, though, you'll see he takes a turn for the douche and oh. he becomes a. Well, I could. Yeah, he becomes completely hateable, but, uh, you know, I won't say more than that, but I just, <laughs> I just had to warn you. Not to, like, me or anything. Huh? It was something that really surprised me and I found kind of jarring. Because some crazy okay. shit happens okay. towards the end of season three that I won't say, but some crazy shit happens. But <laughs> yeah. what was the uh, what was the last episode that you saw? I the mean, last episode I the last episode that I saw was you got really excited there, Steve. Um, <laughs> the last episode that I saw, oh man, which one was it? Um, Did they no, say goodbye really... to Smash yet? They said goodbye to Smash. Um, well, let me just go through the ones that I've enjoyed so far. Okay. Um, so I've actually really really enjoyed that relationship with smash i think it was really really well done because there's a lot of athletes that go through that that kind of phase where it's like you know i was the hot shot in, in high school but now i either can't make it to college or my my injuries are preventing me from college and it's you know smash smash was easy to hate in season one or just dislike yeah he's uh, kind of a hot shot asshole he's a hot shot arrogant. he's arrogant he's an asshole but you know he really grew up and you know the fact that he's willing to put his family first and his mom obviously was strong enough to tell him no, and his coach was. You know, I think basically, I really just loved how how dedicated the coach. Yeah, coach the coach Taylor. smash relationship is very inspiring. Yeah, I mean, because you know, in a lot of ways, the coach stood by Smash in a time when he didn't have to, when he never would have, right? I mean, he he like covered up the steroid thing. He you know made him captain and everything, and I think that that was really great to see someone like smash realize what people are are willing to do for you if you are willing to put in the time and effort to do so and you know the end when you know when smash leaves and you can just see how happy he is and also just the entire way where taylor just refuses to let him give up that's that's pretty touching i was definitely choked up because that's just a a scene that's that's kind of what sports are about and definitely what coaching is about because it's not just about winning and losing but in a lot of ways (laughs) willpower and the desire to, to keep going yeah i liked the scene where they were playing pickup football at the end of that episode at night yes when, you know yeah and it, when smash is just having fun and enjoying playing football and going off to college again i did find a couple things funny though that landry is part of that group now <laughs> yeah. he's just hanging out like you know he's a regular yeah, football player yeah they, they replace street with landry <laughs> <laughs> and oh, also Oh, go on. Sorry. And also, um, I'm pretty sure that Texas A&M committed a few recruiting violations by letting Smash just walk onto their practice and play with yes. that. Yeah, oh, well, let's just see what Smash can do. Let's yeah. see what number 17 does here, huh? <laughs> Probably illegal in the giant NCAA rulebook, but you know, we'll let that slide because they seem to let a lot of things slide in this show. Absolutely. Um, so that was a good... That was a good storyline. Um, I, I just remember the last one that I saw was when uh, they just made the highlight video for Riggins and uh, Street's thinking about becoming an agent. So he hasn't gone to New York yet, but you expect he will, which is a good is a good turn for Street. You, you kind of, in a lot of ways, in the first season, it's kind of like a bit of a sob story, but you get to really and you don't really see why he was so special or so talented. 
But I think this season you can kind of see, even when he's not playing sports, he just feels like a natural. You know? Right, just his determination for everything in his life. You know, exactly. even determined not to let the waitress give up his son. You know, determined not to let them, you know, move to New York without any source of income. You know, he's really a stand-up guy that follows through on everything. That's, you know, that's really why Jason Street is so special, not because of his football abilities. Yes. Um, and the last, the last storyline that I really enjoy is Saracens because, I don't know, I like Saracen because he's not talented. <laughs> because the first time I saw him throw, I was like, that guy throws like a girl and he doesn't look like he could throw anything. His weird, like, hitch, he just looks unnatural out there. But I also really, really enjoy quarterbacks like that who just, like, are gritty and just get the job done somehow. Um, and, you know, obviously, I think he probably is, the, in my opinion, the saddest story of all with, you know, all of his family stuff and all the responsibilities he has. Um, and it's nice to see his mom. I don't know. You know, she means well so far, at least. So yeah. good to see her in there. And I also just – I really enjoy – in the chick flick way, watching Matt and Julie, so yeah, you see, you feel like Matt and Julie are kind of meant to be. Yeah, you know, they're very, they're a very good, good couple. They're very, you know, cute and high schooly. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's because probably I don't, I kind of find Lila annoying and Tyra's just kind of all over the place, but I really do like Julie a lot, so I'm happy for. For Saracen, um, and there's so much awkward tension the entire season thus far till that point. <laughs> they started, you know, making out again. That uh, yeah, you're glad that it's to, over with. You're glad that little was, dalliance with the pool boy, yes. know, is over, and the and the and the housekeeper has finally ended. Because <laughs> those were just terrible storylines. And well, you're lucky that I never saw them. I only had to read about them. So. <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, it's like, oh yeah, they were just meant to be together. Yeah, they, to be as far as you're concerned, they never happened, which is all yep. for the better. <laughs> exactly. So uh, we'll see how Saracen and Julie do, but I think that's a good one. I think uh, in terms of negatives, not that Principal Taylor is like bad at all, but like I don't know, there's some things about her that just kind of annoy me. Mrs. Um, Coach. Yeah, she's great, but she's also just like kind of innocent and annoying about things sometimes. Other than that. I don't know. I've, I've really liked this season so far, so it's hard for me to really complain too much. Yeah, I do, I do have to say, Lila's voice just pisses me off. Yeah, it's, so, it's like, very airy, and, and yeah, it's not so very... airy and just like, uh, yeah, like, ugh. Yeah, you wonder how Derek Jeter can stand it all day long. <laughs> well, hopefully she doesn't talk like that in real life. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, season three, that's, that's definitely, definitely a uh, path back on track from the season two debacle back to season one levels. Season four, yeah. I will say, also maintains that level. I've Season heard good things about. Also, very good, yeah. I need to probably finish the second half, and we'll see kind of what happens from there. But you can already start to feel a bit of a transition with characters. I mean, Saracen and Julie didn't really have anything, anything whatsoever in the last episode I saw. And they started bringing in new people, so. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing good about the show. It's not like a nine hundred two and where they'll keep the same class of high school kids around forever. I mean, they do graduate, they do move on with their lives, and it's a little Eventually. more realistic that way. You know, even <laughs> though they will keep Riggins around because Riggins is just awesome. <laughs> Riggins is great. You gotta love Tim Riggins. Yeah. <laughs> He's just, like perfectly cast for that role too. Um, yeah, I don't. But yeah, so I will. I'll, I'll, I'll say that I'll just drop a little hint right now, Paul, that a huge bomb drops at the season finale, the very end. 
the show as you know it will fundamentally change between season three and season four. It is a huge. It's it's the biggest bomb drop that this show has ever seen. And I, w- I won't spoil it for you by telling you exactly what it is, but I'll, I will tell you that it's huge. Okay. All right. Well, so I'll uh, prepared. I'll be looking forward to it. Now you got all these like crazy ideas in my head. <laughs> yeah, you got. That's part of the fun, right? Is, is speculating what the hell is going to happen later. That's true, and especially when you have the ability to just watch the next episode whenever you want, yeah. and you can really see what happens. Um, but you haven't gotten any further with the wire. Um, no, I haven't. So. Unfortunately, I haven't had the time to watch anything. I'm still on episode nine of season two. So once I finish that, we can speak some. You're more almost on. there. You're almost there. Probably by next week, if not the week after. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. Well, let's. Do you want to finish up then? Yeah, let's finish up. Not much else. Uh, going on this week so let's just keep it short and finish with the Mary Boff kill alright so expanding on the theme of last week where I proposed three kind of annoying pretty just honestly haggard female rappers to Steve this time we're going to go with the white female rapper singer types so the three are Lady Gaga Katy Perry, and everyone's favorite, Kesha. Uh, so, Steve, what would you like to do? This is really tough. I mean, it's been a few weeks now in a row where we've had a string of really tough ones. This one, I'd have to start from the positive side and go with marrying Katy Perry because the prospect of marrying Kesha, who is white trash personified, or Lady Gaga, who is just absolutely insane... That those both scare the hell out of me. So I think I'll have to marry Katy Perry. Um, picking the fuck Kesha or Gaga. <laughs> I mean, neither of them are attractive at all, really. But, jeez. Yeah, Gaga has the huge snaz, which is kind of bothersome. So I think I'd have to fuck Kesha and toss Lady Gaga. Okay. Um... Oh, I mean, there's really no right answer. <laughs> you know, it's another one of those. There's no right answer. Everything you say is wrong. I do think this is better than last week's that I gave you last week. <laughs> Maybe you think differently. I think these three are better than Little Mama, Little Kim, and yeah, I mean, yeah, Missy <laughs> Um I would marry Katy Perry. I think that one's most obvious. Yeah, because you know she is married, right? She's married to Russell Brand. Uh, sure. I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think she I'm, is married. I'm not, to I'm not a true LA person when it comes to celebrity gossip. So yeah, I think she's 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 definitely. So that that makes her marryable because she's married to Russell Brand. Well, he's she's yeah, of... she's married to someone. She's you know. Yeah, but but he's a creep. He's weird. Yeah, he's weird, but she's also a little <laughs> weird. So you know, they're a nice weird married couple. Okay, that's. Uh, I mean, I guess she's more marryable. Lady Gaga just kind of scares me, and I've heard. Aren't there rumors that she's just like a dude? A, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that too. <laughs> well, I'm gonna stay away from that, and I'm just yeah. gonna do Kesha and toss Gaga. I think that's the safe. <laughs> okay, so I don't want I don't want any surprises. Tough. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get any nasty, you know, surprises or shocks that I'm not expecting. That's the worst surprise uh, you could get. <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah. Uh. Okay, and. uh what do you have for me? All right. So last week I did Indian chicks. Now <laughs> this week we're going to do Italian chicks with the ladies of Jersey Shore. So I'm going to give you Snooki, Wow, and Sammy Sweetheart. 
Have at it, Paul. Um. Uh, uh, <laughs> Again, no right answer. Everything that you say no. is wrong. I think Snooki is just disgusting, though. Like, she's just fucking gross. Like, she's just fucking nasty. Oh, yeah, so, she's disgusting. I'm going to toss Snooki. Honestly, I don't know enough about either of the other two. Like, I've never really watched the show enough to know, like, which one is more tolerable as a person. Because I would, in terms of looks, they're close enough to me. Like, they're close enough that I don't really have a preference. I think I'd marry Sammy and fuck Wow and definitely dump Snooki. <laughs> All right. Just because, well, Snooki's trash. Sammy at least, at least looks kind of, like, kind of sweet. And then Wow is just the other one, so. <laughs> yeah, okay. What about so, well, I, I have seen a few episodes of Jersey Shore, and yes, Snooki is disgusting. She's kind of really sad. She, she's kind of fat, and she's not attractive. <laughs> and so, yeah, she's definitely got to go. I mean, I saw a picture of her today sucking a lollipop shaped like a penis, so, you know, that that tells you all you need to know about Snooki right there. So she's definitely got to be killed. Um, I'm going to disagree with you on the others, though. I think I'm going to marry Wow and fuck Sammy. Yeah, I think Sammy is pretty cute. But if you watch the show at all, it it's revealed to you that she's just a complete bitch. <laughs> she'd, be, she'd be terrible to live with. So I, I don't think I would be able to marry her. Wow, I mean, she's just kind of a dumb, drunk slut all the time, you know, but she doesn't, she's not as angry all the time as Sammy is. So I think I'd have to marry Wow and fuck Sammy. Okay. That's probably more informed than my decision. <laughs> you know, which so really isn't something that I should be proud of. Like, I shouldn't be proud that Hey, I... no, I, I, it's, it's a pretty entertaining show, you know? It's, I think it's <laughs> tough to... Once you watch it, it's kind of like a train wreck that you can't really oh, stop yeah. watching. Oh, yeah. It's really entertaining. So I can't really fault you there. Um, all right, though. That sounds like a, a solid decision. Uh, maybe we should instigate or instate a rule that says, like, one of us has to pick a, a Mary Boff kill of, like, Terrible girls, and one gets to pick one of, like, desirable girls. So it's not just constant pain every week? (laughs) Well, I mean, because it was, was, like, glory for a long time, you know? We just had, like, really, really beautiful... Yeah, we started out really nice. Intelligent, or not intelligent, but, like, you know, good-looking girls. And, I mean, I like kind of throwing the curveball in there and making it exciting with some, like, oh, man, these are three bad choices, what do I do? But it wouldn't hurt to, you know keep the good times rolling too yeah we've been throwing steady breaking balls here we i think we need to get back to the <laughs> fastball yes uh we'll, we'll work it out we'll figure out who's responsible for which role each week <laughs> all right sounds good okay well that's gonna do it for us um it's been a bit of a slow week but hopefully some stuff will happen in the sports world and real world to keep us interested for next week um so stay tuned for that thanks for listening bye-bye i'm a man i'm 40 <laughs>